welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We've talked through uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, and it's been really fruitful uh, in in my life, hopefully in you guys too. Uh, I know many of you guys talked to me the first week and were blessed and I'm super encouraged by that. And Gabe last week just was so good in in just looking at the task of Jesus or the goal of Jesus and and those last three pieces of armor. And so I've been really encouraged and just implementing a lot of this in my life. And I have encouraged you guys to not look at this as a series, you know, where we're just kind of receiving, but a workshop and to try to internalize some of this. So let me read our passage for today and refresh it in our minds, and then we're going to jump right in because we have lots of stuff to go over tonight. Uh, So starting in verse 10 in Ephesians 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me in my, in given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, I echo uh, Paul's request here that, that I would just be covered in prayer or that, that my mouth would be open and, and that I would be able to boldly speak the gospel. And Lord, I pray for our time together, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, they don't want to hear from me. Lord, I just pray for your spirit. Lord, I pray for your spirit to be just present with them, Lord, sanctifying them. Uh, Lord, just that we would be molded with every word that we hear, every concept that comes through your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would be equipped for the battle that we are in. And Lord, that we would not walk away tonight fooling ourselves that we are in a calm or that there's not a danger and that we would take it serious. So Lord, I pray for for our study. I just pray that you would be working in us through this. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So how many of you guys think there are evil days ahead of us? Anybody? Yeah, we, we got some. David says we're in them. Other people think they're ahead of us. Anybody think there's been evil days behind us? Yeah, like, right? Evil days all over the place. And it, it's in this particular passage, Paul says that we are ready for the evil day 
right? So there's this like specific, and it's kind of like, okay, well, what does he mean by that? And as we look at that, I think, you know, as, as we're preparing, one of the things we want to make sure is that we understand what he's telling us to prepare for. And I think one of the things that we can misrepresent or, or, or mistake in this passage is that there's a particular day that Paul is going for that a particular day that Paul is preparing us for. And I don't think that that's the case. And I don't think so because in chapter five, if we go back in this passage a little bit uh, in verses 15 through 17, Paul gives us a command. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So in context, that particular section of passage in chapter five, Paul is comparing the things of Christ and the things of the world. And then he concludes with this. So be prepared because the days are evil. Uh, So when in the very next chapter, he says to be prepared for the evil day. I think he's just talking about the next day, right? I mean, you guys, you guys with me, right? Every day right now, especially we're just aware of it because there's so much chaoticness going on. There's so much uh, difficulty just for being able to worship God being, you know, available in that way. Um, There's definitely evil that's going on and we live in a fallen world, right? There's always evil going on. We feel temptation every day, always evil going on. So as we look at this passage, this is kind of like the, you know, wake up in the morning and do the things that you need to do to survive that day. If we look at how we're going to use the armor of God and, and how we're wrapping this, this series up, we've looked at the schemes of the devil. We've looked at the goals of Christ. We've kind of introduced each piece of armor. And today we want to talk about how do we prepare ourselves? How do we use this armor? How, how does it come upon us? What does that look like? And if we, if we accomplish that, that's great, right? If we just come out of here and you guys have one thing that you can take away, that is, this is how I could use this piece of armor, or this refreshes me on how I can battle in the spiritual war that's going on around me, then praise God. But before we kind of jump into that and look at that on an individual level, I want to reiterate something that's important to realize in this text the spiritual battle that you're involved in is not simply a battle involving you sinning or not sinning, right? There's more to this. Uh, the, the battle is not centered on the war being fought in your space. The battle that we're in is not an individual battle that we just go and we're fighting to survive ourselves. It's a much greater thing. And we know this because Paul tells us that we are not fighting just against flesh and blood, but they were fighting against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And, you know, we talked about the schemes of the devil and and different passages. I mean, Daniel, you know, in, in Daniel, like he was praying and the angel of the Lord was delayed. Remember that? He was delayed by a, an overlord demon or or, or a prince or a prince, a demon over a principality. So as we, Look at the passages today and we think about the armor of God. I don't want you guys to think that this is armor to protect you and your battle with temptation. There's more to it than that. Okay. 
All right, so let's, let's get into these specific pieces of armor. So the first, we're going to refresh on the belt of truth. So we talked about this two weeks ago. A literal translation for this is to gird up your loins with truth. And there's this really cool picture that I downloaded from the Art of Manliness website. And this is someone girding up their loins, right? It's a statement that means to prepare yourself for battle or hard work. And it was often done with a belt or a loincloth, usually made out of leather. uh, And they would hold the robe in place so you weren't hindered and you could move freely around. So if you guys look at this picture and you can kind of see they they like kind of grab their robe and they bring it up. And it's almost like a a little pair of uh, diaper shorts or or something that uh, they go then to battle in. And as we fasten on the belt of truth, right, or or literally as the truth prepares us for battle or hard work, my question as we look at this is what does Paul mean by that? Because if we can dig into what he means, it'll, it'll give us more insight into how we put that on, how we do this. Um, so in Ephesians 4.17, again, the, the best place to look at, okay, what does Paul mean by that? What does he talk about it in the rest of the book, right? Can we go back to another section in the book and get context from that thought? And then how does he talk about it in other places? So in Ephesians four and verse 17, it says, now this, I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in this passage, we can see that Paul says that truth is in Jesus. Jesus said the same thing in John 14, six. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And The passage there in Ephesians, we can see not only does it echo what Jesus says in that I am the way, the truth and life, but there is a theme of repentance in that passage as well, right? So the effect of Jesus as truth is life change. So if we're looking at the belt of truth and we think about what Paul talks about in that particular section, he talks about a former manner of life and a renewal in the spirit of our minds, putting on the new self. So if we're looking at ways to fasten this belt of truth, to bring this truth around us and to motivate us and to keep everything in place, what we need to understand is that that is related to repentance. So, you know, we we talk about the belt of truth a lot about what truth is and that truth needs to be important, but to put the belt of truth on starts with repentance. And one of the things that I would ask you guys is as you're thinking about the belt of truth, How often are you repenting of things? You know, the Bible calls us to repent to one another, to confess to one another. And and to live in truth, we need to be a humble people of repentance. Does that make sense? Right? So, I mean, you know, we can understand what truth is, but the devil knows truth, right? I mean, deception happens all the time. For us to be honestly 
girding up our loins with truth and ready for battle means that we need to have repentant hearts. And by repenting, we are showing that truth is not defined by our opinions, but it is defined by the word of God. It is defined by Jesus because Jesus is truth. This is not a knock on science at all, right? I'm not a science denier. I'm not a science hater, but science is data. Jesus is deeper truth than that, right? Like we're still learning science. Like I, when you guys, some of you that are 40 or over, how many butter and margarine recommendations, you know, like butter is better for you. Margarine is better for you. Butter is better for you. Margarine is better for you. You know, science says the butter is better. Science says that margarine is better. Well, the, the thing with science is that they're figuring things out. They're learning more and more about things. And there is truth to what they're saying. But Jesus is deeper truth than that. When we put on the belt of truth, we're not just putting on accurate data. We're putting on the truth that created the universe. And that's what we need to gird our loins up with. Not that we know everything and that we're accurate, but that we have the truth of the universe, that the truth of Christ with us filtering everything through. All right. So we put that on I would argue by repentance and we see that repentance in that passage right between verse 18, where it says darkened their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance. And then we, we kind of push forward closer to verse 22 through 24, where he starts talking about your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And we see this change happening because the truth is changing who you are. Okay. How many of you guys have fastened on the belt of truth through repentance recently. Right. I think about me, like, even as I was studying this, I was like, the problem is, is that I'm not on the lookout for things to repent of. It's not that I don't have a heart to desire to be repentant. I'm not looking, I'm not, I'm not assessing things. And we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get to the helmet of salvation. So we should be a people of repentance. The se- securing that belt of truth is a humble, a humbling repentance that causes it. And take a check. Make sure your robes aren't like falling out, right? You know, you want to make sure your, your belt's on secure still. Okay. The breastplate of righteousness. This is the primary piece of armor that protects you in battle, right? So uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's, it's the, you know, protects all your organs. It, it keeps you from being brutally injured. And one of the interesting things about this is, as I was jumping back into this is Paul had been using this metaphor for 10 years. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. And you guys might ask, how do I know that? Well, in first Thessalonians, which was written estimated about 10 years before the, the letter of Ephesians, Paul has a very similar verse. I'm starting in verse four. It says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. This is when he's talking about the day of the Lord. The, it's going to come like a thief in the night. It says, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, 
so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And that last verse is metaphorically time, whether we're alive or dead. So here, the first time that we see him using this metaphor of a breastplate, we see that he attaches faith and love to it. Um, and in Ephesians, he says that we're to put on righteousness as our breastplate. So how do we put these two things together and, and how do we put them on so that we're prepared? I'm going to read a passage out of Galatians, which I think kind of connects these two. So in Galatians 5, starting in verse 2, it says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts, accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And verse 5 here is the critical verse. For through the Spirit, by faith... We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So there's this relationship between faith and love and righteousness. And since Paul has been using this metaphor for 10 years at this point, you can see he's added extra pieces of armor. He's got different things that he's, he's added to it. And, and this is a great example of God can inspire and continue to mature us. And we see the authors in this text, but we also see the hand of God, that there is truth, but we continue to mature just as Paul did, Right. I mean, even we look at Jesus miraculously, like he is a child and he grows. And, and it says like in scripture that he matured, that he grew in his understanding and things. And, and, you know, it is such an amazing place that we get to be. This is a little bit of rabbit trail. It's such an amazing place that we get to be that we serve a God who was with us and understands us and grew like we grew and understands the pains and the sufferings that we go through. Amen. Okay. Back to, back to righteousness. So we see in this passage that faith working through love is connected to our hope of righteousness. And I think that it gives us some insight into how we're to put the breastplate on. So I'm actually thankful for the beginning of that, because as I was thinking about how do we put this righteousness on, how do we, you know, how do we put this breastplate on to be ready for battle? And as we look at Paul's original faith and love in the Thessalonians passage, uh, which isn't really addressed in the Ephesians passage, we can see that the love Paul talks about in Thessalonians is agape love. So this is the sacrificial love. C.S. Lewis calls it the gift love. It's the love required to love strangers and to want the best for your enemies. It's interesting, right? So, so all the different loves that are in Greek, right? We have agape and phileo and eros and three other ones that I, I don't remember at the moment. Agape is this, it has kind of come to be known as the Christian love, this gift love, and, and it's sacrificial. So if we take that into context as we're thinking about how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness, I think that combined with 2 Corinthians, when we look at chapter 5, starting in verse 16, let me read that real quick. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ According to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to be messengers of reconciliation, to be his message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So as we look at Paul's original look at the breastplate and we look at this faith and love and we look at righteousness and we see these things connected. I think that the way that we put on the breastplate of righteousness is we pursue reconciliation. We are a people who pursues to be reconciled with others. It's not what we think normally, right? I mean, generally when I would go to this passage and I think about the breastplate of righteousness, it's about you have to be righteous. You have to not be involved in sexual immorality. You have to not do these things. And, and it's kind of focused on these not doings that brings our righteousness, but the righteousness of God that second Corinthians tells us that we employ is a ministry of reconciliation. So for us to put the breastplate of righteousness on, we need to have a heart for reconciliation. Our faith in Christ joins us to him and we're reconciled with God by the work of Christ. But in being reconciled, we become this message or testimony of that reconciliation for others to see. We become the righteousness of God. And that's the righteousness that I believe that Paul is talking about here with the breastplate of righteousness. So we reconcile ourselves to God through his agape love for us. And we reconcile ourselves to others through his agape love toward them through us. Does that make sense? Let me, let me say that one more time. See, we reconcile ourselves to God through his agape love for us. And we reconcile ourselves to others through his agape love toward them through us, right? That's the breastplate of righteousness. That is the ministry of reconciliation. And of course, if we're doing that, if we're pursuing reconciliation, we're not going to go and be drunkards and fools and sexually immoral and, you know, all of these things, idolaters that righteousness entails as well. But if we approach the breastplate of righteousness and we try to put that breastplate of righteousness on and we define it by our obedience to God's call, we are not wearing God's armor. We're wearing our own. Amen. So as we look at the breastplate of righteousness and we want to put that on, we need to remind ourselves to have a heart of reconciliation. And we need to do this through daily reconciliation, right? The pursuit and readiness to forgive and be reconciled with others, even at grace, great cost to ourselves. Like there's a passage in the Bible. I'm, I'm going a little off script. Eric says it's never a good idea. <laughs> We're very different men. <laughs> there's a passage in the Bible. I'm, I'm blanking on what book it is in where Paul says, you know, he encourages the church that you have not suffered unto death. Right. And you guys, 
Christ's reconciliation cost him his life. That's how committed he was to the breastplate of righteousness. And that's the breastplate of righteousness you wear. And when you imitate that, you become the righteousness of God for other people to see. Amen. Okay. Shoes of readiness, peace of the gospel, right? We're going to, we're going to remind ourselves of this. Paul clearly states that this readiness is from the gospel or, or the good news and the peace that that brings us. And we talked about two weeks ago that that peace ultimately is willingness to die. Like the peace that we have in the gospel the, the most extreme version of that piece is that I am willing to go and put my life on the line because the gospel gives me such peace in my eternity that I am motivated to make a difference here, even at the cost of my life. So in Philippians 121, Paul mimics this value for this value for life, but this willingness to die. And it says for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we see it with Thomas at the same, right? You know, let us also go that we may die with him. Speaking of following Jesus back to Judea, where they were going to try to have him stoned, you know, just weeks before or days before. So this is an all or nothing aspect to this peace, right? Like the peace that is given to us. It's not like we're, we have some peace, you know, like we can, we can have, Varying levels of peace through our life, but, but the peace of the gospel that gives us readiness is a readiness to die. A readiness, if we're readiness to die, we're ready to give up possessions. We're ready to, you know, move away from people. We're to go out onto the mission field and, and pursue God's work for us. If we are ready to die, you know, we're ready to sacrifice our free time and our possessions to, to bless others. Right? So the gospel of peace gives us the readiness. So how do we put these shoes on, right? How do we put on the gospel of peace? I think of Hebrews 12. Uh, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we put our shoes on these, this readiness from the peace that the gospel gives us by clearing our lives of both weights and sins, which are clinging closely to us. And you guys want to know what the weights are, right? Do an, do an equipment check. Like, do you have your shoes on? Are you ready? What sins are keeping you away? What things are occupying your time? What things are occupying your, your emotions and your fears and your anxieties? What things are taking your energy, right? Those are the things that could be distracting, and it doesn't mean that something's taking your energy is a distraction, but those are the things that are filling the life that God has given you. So if we want to cast weights aside, we want to confess sins and do that kind of stuff, you know, that's what we have to do. And I want to, I'm going to close this with just reading a passage and I'm just going to leave it there for you guys to think about, you know, this is Mark 10, starting in verse 17. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I think this gives us all something to consider as we think about the shoes of readiness um, and what we are hindered by to move when the Lord calls us on the helmet of salvation. So for, for this piece, I'm going a little bit out of order because I think that the shield and the sword kind of work together. The, the helmet protects our head. The head is the driver of the body, right? Scripturally, you know, head is seen as the leadership. It, it, it drives what's going on. If the belt of truth keeps us from getting tangled, right? The belt kind of frees our feet up. Then the helmet keeps our mind focused on the battle, right? It keeps us clear and focused on the task at hand. And as Gabe said last week, in regards to the helmet of salvation, this is more than a reference to that initial moment of our salvation, right? When we repented and believed and, and we received salvation scripturally, biblically, you know, as, as we look at salvation from a, a theological breakdown, there's three parts of salvation. We have the justification, the sanctification, and the glorification that we will experience in our salvation. And if we can kind of think about these as the past, present, and future state, of our salvation. Our salvation is secured when we surrendered our life to Jesus. We repented of our sins. We received the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of Christ is given to us. We are justified by his righteousness. If you want to get really nerdy, you might even be able to say that that moment happened at the cross since he knew and predestined us and, and drew us in and, and he's outside of time and space and he knew who was going to choose and how things are going to go. And he's calling us in. And you know, with that moment on the cross, there's like our sin was actually paid for, but we are justified when we repent and we believe. And then we see when we are taken up, right? We, we go to heaven and we receive that righteousness from God we are glorified, right? We are, our salvation is kind of completed and glorified. But in between that is this sanctification process. And we're growing to be like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives as we see in Galatians. Uh, we're disciplined by Christ as we see in Hebrews. Uh, we are called to mature in our understanding of the teaching of the word. Uh, we see that in Timothy as, as Paul encourages him to continue in that. Uh, as we put on the helmet of salvation, this sanctification process is the salvation that we're putting on. So how do we put that helmet on? How do we put on the helmet of salvation in a sanctification sense? I'm going to look at Philippians 2. I, we're going to continue to go back to scripture for insight. We're not just going to try to figure this out on our own, but continue to go to scripture. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Part of that working out, we see in the, in second Corinthians 10, three through five, right? So we see in Philippians, Paul is telling us work out your salvation 
And in 2 Corinthians, we kind of see some of how that working out takes place. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If we're going to put on the helmet of salvation, we start by interrogating ourselves, right? We, what, what happens when you take something captive? You take something captive. Do you like pet it and play with it? And it's like, oh, it's a, I took a little puppy captive. No. Who, who do you take captive? Bad guys, dangerous people, things that are a threat. And, and Paul tells us to take every thought captive. So us working our salvation out is checking our thoughts, washing them through the word, right? Becoming more aware of who Christ is and what he has taught. His truth is the process of sanctification, right? We also need to be ready to be disciplined and corrected, right? I mean, just as it it was in Hebrews, Uh, Like these are things that are part of that salvation. So as we put that helmet on, we need to be ready to take our thoughts captive, to push them to the word of God. And and, and not just like when we, when we take thoughts captive, I want to make sure that we, we understand that this is not us identifying a dangerous thought and taking it captive, Right. This is taking every thought captive and assuming it's dangerous until we approve it by the word of God. Make sense? That's putting on the helmet of salvation. We want to make sure that every desire that we have, it aligns with scripture. Every passion that we feel is smothered with like humble prayer, right? Laying these things before the Lord. I think that a community of people is, is really important, right? Because one great way to test your thoughts. If you guys believe in a Holy spirit, the same Holy spirit that is in you guys is in me, right? And that Holy spirit is talking to us through our spirit, some miraculous way. Amen. So if God is telling you something, can that Holy spirit, that same Holy spirit confirm that that is a godly thought or that is a godly direction or that is godly counsel by also giving that same impression to your brothers and sisters around you. Right. And if all of your brothers, sisters around you are in conflict with the thought that you feel is from God, you need to trust that the Holy spirit is greater than your mind. Amen. So a community helps you do this as well. So, you know, do that equipment check. You know, what's consuming your thoughts, what's consuming your time, your emotions, take those things captive, prove them right through the word, through your salvation in Christ, right? Are they making you more like Christ, more fruitful for his kingdom? Is your mind at peace and your actions demonstrating the fruit of the spirit because of these things that are occupying your mind and your desires and your emotions and and your time. And, you know, even looking at your career and your spending, I mean, all of these things, like our salvation is not a mental thing. Amen. Okay. Uh, shield of faith. So the sword of the spirit, shield of faith, we're going to kind of look at them together. I know everybody says 
all the commentators, and you know, again, I just told you guys, if everybody disagrees with you, you should give a moment to pause. But I've played a lot of fantasy role-playing games. And you can use a shield as a weapon. It's possible, right? And I know that the, you know, we, we talk about the Romans. You know, they've got their shield. And that's kind of the one that would be open to the people. But as I look at any combat, your sword and your shield are used in conjunction, right? So I, I feel like they kind of go together. Um, they're instruments of combat. Even if the shield is more defensive, it is still an instrument of combat. If we look at these two things, everything else that we were looking at, I mean, Gabe talked about kind of the three and three grouping, right? We have these put on and then take up, right? So there is this kind of take up with the, the helmet of salvation, but the helmet of salvation is still a piece of armor, right? So it's like, we do need to take it up for battle, and, and, you know, taking every thought captive is battle. So it might not be something that we're wearing all the time in that kind of metaphor. But I think if we look at a deeper look at the passage, we'll see that that may not be true. But it's, it's a different thing than this sword and the shield. And the shield of faith is interesting to me because when you look at it across the references in Greek, right? The word faith is the specific Greek phrase or, or word for faith here is used 240 times in the New Testament. Matthew 8, 8 through 10, it's the centurion, right? Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And later Jesus says he marveled because he has not seen faith. He says, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel, have I found such faith? The centurion who looked at Jesus and said, I know you can do this. You don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to be at my house. And Jesus said, you have greater faith than anyone I've found in Israel. Right? And we see, you know, later in Matthew, I'm I'm using a lot of examples from Matthew. They're all through the gospels. Many of these stories are in, in numerous three, if not all four of them. You know, the paralytic, right? Drop down. And Jesus says that he saw the faith that the friends had. And he told paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then there was uproar. Like, well, how, how can you don't have authority to, uh, to forgive sins? And he said, well, what's easier to say sins are forgiven or to tell him to get up and walk. And he heals them in that way. So their faith in the power of God again, and, and the bleeding woman, right? She discharged for 12 years. And um, she thought, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And she did. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Just so that we can see that this is not just a gospel thing. This is not just around Christ. You know, in Acts, we see examples of this. There's a a passage in Acts 3 where Peter heals a lame beggar and everybody at the temple is amazed. And he gives, he tells them, he said, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. There's dozens of examples of this, right? The, the faith in the power of God. And then there's also references that speak about the justification, right? So, you know, like we talked about earlier, our salvation, that moment of 
repentance. We come to faith in Christ for forgiveness of our sins. That moment of justification, we see it in Romans, you know, all through Romans for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we see faith constantly being talked about as the, the instrument of justification that, that brings us into Christ. In Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And, and we can look through all 240 of these passages, and they basically fall into these two categories. We have faith in the power of God, and, and there's action from that, and that we have faith in the confidence or the assurance of salvation and the unity in Christ, right? There, there's passages that talk about that you are of one faith, right? Talking about that we should be unified through that one faith in Christ. So as we look at these two things and we think about, okay, how do we take up the shield? I don't believe that Paul is talking about the saving faith, just like Gabe said, right? It's not, you know, it's helmet of salvation, shield of faith. This is, we, believers put these on. So this isn't like I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved. I have faith, I don't have faith. I have faith, I don't have faith. This is talking about that faith in the power of God. And if we look at the shield of faith as that type of faith that we are supposed to bring up to extinguish the darts, the fiery darts of Satan, the power of God, the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, those are the three things that Satan's going to come after you with. Right? So as we think about bringing that shield up, it's an act of reminding ourselves of God's character, right? Of who God is, that faith in his power to not be disheartened by the attacks, right? Because the attack, like Gabe said, is, you know, it tries to come in and then because it's a fiery arrow, it's trying to engulf you and overwhelm you and just destroy in that way. It grows and it spreads and it just causes destruction. And the only way that can happen is for us to lose our faith in the power of God in the moment that he can't help us in this to lose our faith in the goodness of God, that he doesn't want to help us in this or in the wisdom of God that he wants to do something else. And it's wrong. So to build our faith up the best experience, the best way that I have in my life seeing my faith in who God is be built up is to be part of an active community that is living that faith out. Because when my arm's tired and I can't lift my shield, there's somebody else there. And you think about, you know, the Romans and, and many other people in battle, they'd make these lines of men and they would, they would have their shields and they would push forward right? And then they would fall back and somebody else would come in and take that space. And you guys remember, these are instruments of combat. And if we're in combat and we're weary, it helps to have a brother or a sister with a, a fresh shield to come in and take your place. Amen. Okay. Last piece, <laughs> sword of spirit. Uh, and the sword of the spirit is used in conjunction with the shield, just as it would be in battle uh, in most swords, you know, 
kind of talk about that in a minute. Paul tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And he links the use of the sword to prayer in the spirit, right? It says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And Gabe talked about this last week, that the spirit speaks to us through the word of God and that the spirit will speak to others through the word of God as we speak it to them. And if we looked through all the passages, the Bible gives us so many encouragements to pray without ceasing, right? Right here in this passage, it actually comes up. But in other places, we're, we're called to pray without ceasing and to encourage one another with psalms and hymns, right? To wash each other with the word, right? A husband to a wife, to, to the family, to wash them with the word, to encourage one another with the word. Over and over again, we're encouraged to be engaged with the word of God. We should be praying scripture, singing scripture, meditating on scripture every single day. It should be flowing through our life, right? That's part of that helmet of salvation, like taking every thought captive, bringing in scripture. This all works together. It's one suit of armor. And that's how we take the sword of the spirit up. We speak the word of God. If you are in a physical altercation, it's not fought in your mind, So if we're going to take up the sword of the spirit, we need to verbalize that sword. If the word of God is the sword of the spirit, the word needs to be spoken. You know, I I just feel like we need to sing it. We need to sing it out loud. You know, today when we sing, sing out loud, we need to kind of get past just having an inner dialogue, right? It's not arming ourselves and and we need to be familiar with this tool. And if all of our use of the sword of the spirit is in our head, then we're going to lose out. And I have kind of a fun thing because when I was single and had more time, I actually was a fencer, not like wallets, but uh, you know, swords and, and things like that. So I spent maybe six months, maybe a year, once a week, three hours a day doing fencing. And when I pick up this sword, my hand goes right to the grip in the way that it's used. And if, if I gave this to somebody else and said, here, you know, use this. If you'd never seen fencing, because I tried this earlier and they knew, but if you'd never seen fencing and all you'd seen is movies, you would think you'd go whoosh, 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 like, like this is how they fight in the movies with the sword, Right. This has no sharp blade. If I do this, I give someone a welt. If they have armor on, I do nothing. A rapier was created to go through the links of armor. So if I'm wearing a big thing of armor and I bring a, you know, a broadsword or something like that, and I hit them like this with a sharp blade, the armor might be dulled. I might receive a bruise but I will probably not be severely cut because of the armor. But a sword like this has a point. And the whole goal is to go through the links of armor to puncture a blood vessel. You you specifically try to hit in like arteries and they bleed out. So a man armed with a rapier or a, a, a pointed sword could go up to someone in a suit of armor or in chain link, and this would go right through it. 
puncture them. And if, if you hit them in the chest and you went between a rib or something like that, I mean, you're doing serious damage, right? Now, like I said, I mean, six months, I, I, I immediately, I, I pick up the sword, my hand goes right to it. I mean, it's been 10 years, no, probably more than that, like 15 years since I've fenced. But I go right to it, footwork, you know, defense, offense. And then when you fight with this sword, this is all it is, right? Like these are the movements, these very small movements. Like that was actually a huge movement. So the point here is if I gave this sword to you and I said, hey, let's fence, who's going to win? I mean, 10 years ago, I did this. I'm guessing I would still win. I mean, unless, you know, you guys have trained with an epe. So as you guys think about this, as I bring this up because we have to know how to use the tool. Amen. And if we look at the passage starting in verse 16, you guys go there. Cause I want you to look at this right in Ephesians six, verse 16, it says, and it starts with, what does it start with? It says only under desperate circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts, right? No, it says in all circumstances, we cannot wait for the overwhelming attack before we know how to use the weapon. And if you guys aren't using the word of God in your conversations with one another, if you're not using the word of God, if you, if you can't sing the word of God out loud, how are you going to speak the word of God out loud to someone who you need to witness to, or you need to evangelize, right? Like we need to speak it. It needs to be out loud. Now don't wait for the extreme attack to get comfortable. Do as verse 16 says, and take up the, the shield, the helmet, the sword on every circumstance, not just in combat, because what's the truth? We're always in combat every day. We need to take it up. Okay. We're going to close with communion. And as you guys get your elements ready, I want to close with this thought. Each piece of the armor is connected to Jesus, right? We see it clearly in the belt. Like Jesus is the truth. He also traded his righteousness for our depravity, right? We see that in Corinthians and in, in the great exchange. He was the messenger with the good news of the gospel that gives us peace. He is the object of our faith. He purchased our salvation and continues to intercede on our behalf as we are sanctified and, and waiting to be glorified. He is the eternal word of God and the foundation that unifies all the teachings of the Bible. All the prophecies point towards him. All the promises are fulfilled in him. When we put on the armor of God, we are putting on Christ, right? And this passage says that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I, I feel like a, an expanded translation of that would be, we are to be made strong in the Lord and in the power of his abilities, strength and might. You kind of break those Greek words down and they're all different words that can be translated as strength and might and power. But this last one, his might focuses on the abilities of God. Also the power behind him. 
Because if we really are in a spiritual war, we need his power. Amen. So as we gather together, as we take communion with one another, I want us to remember the body that was broken so that we could be made whole. When we grab, when we take the bread together, let us also remember the blood that was spilled so that we could be reconciled to God. Let us remember the work of Jesus on the cross and the miracle of his resurrection and with thankfulness partake of the juice together. Lord, I pray, I pray that you're blessed by us. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with thankfulness. Lord, I know that I know it's strange times. And Lord, I, I know that we're weary and irritable and some of us are aloof and unaware <laughs> And Lord, I just pray that you give us all grace. Lord, I pray that, that we would just be humble and submit to your truth. Lord, that we would be calling on, on others to, to go and to be reconciled with them. Lord, that we would have faith in, in the power that you possess. Lord, that, that you would protect our thoughts Lord, that we would be just filled with empathy and grace and love, even for our enemies. And Lord, I pray that you would use our lives. As we go out of these walls, as we've come together to be recharged and refocused and realigned, Lord, as we are sick coming to be made whole, we want to be whole so that we can be used by you. So Lord, I pray for opportunities that you would put good works in our path, Lord, and that we would walk through those in obedience. And I pray tomorrow morning, Lord, that we would wake up and remember to put on the armor of God. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. Lord, just as Paul said in this, Lord, that we are called to be praying and to be, to be aware and to be alert. Lord, I pray that you would give us more awareness and that we would be able to see where you are guiding and, and where you want us to go. And that we would just be ready to sacrifice. And Lord, we know that that is all through the cross. And we thank you that you came, that you became a man. You lived a perfect life. You gave that life freely for the glory of God, that we might be your workmanship that we might be testaments of your ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, I pray that we can take that into our, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our valley, that we can see the fruit of this church's ministry of reconciliation in Cambodia and the Middle East. Lord, that we would plant churches. Lord, that we would protect the innocent. And that we provide for people's needs. Or let us be a people who are seeking reconciliation and not waiting for opportunities. Because we know that the harvest is plenty. That it's, it's ready. Probably more in this moment of our lives than ever before. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. 
In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.